Hi, everyone. This is Wendy Kennedy. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Podcast, where we showcase and celebrate entrepreneurial success. People doing innovative and amazing things to ignite entrepreneurs, innovation, and entrepreneurial thinking. Today, we're showcasing life science entrepreneurs, and we have my good friend and life science entrepreneur, Darlene Boudreau, here with us at the entrepreneurial table. Darlene has deep roots and expertise in building life science startups, both as a founder as well as an advisor. Believe me, she knows what it takes to create a company with nothing but an idea and a dream. She started as a co-founder and CEO of a life science startup known as PharmaFab, and from there took on the role of executive director for Tech Fort Worth, an incubator focused on life science, energy technologies, and ideas that can impact our world. She's very passionate about what it takes to build a company from the ground up, and so we're going to plug into her expertise to help us out. At Tech Fort Worth, she coached and advised many early-stage startups, including ZS Pharma, which was acquired by AstraZeneca in 2015, and Encore Vision, which was acquired by Novartis in 2016. Darlene recently passed the baton as Chief Executive of Tech Fort Worth, and we're going to talk with her about what the future holds. No doubt it's going to involve inspiring and coaching entrepreneurs. Darlene also has a long list of awards for her work helping to build out life science startups, including being recognized by the U.S. House of Representatives as the only American named to the list of the nine leading women entrepreneurs in the world. Quite an accomplishment. And she's even had a day proclaimed in her honor by the city of Fort Worth. She's a certified public accountant and holds a BA and a double major in mathematics and German from DePaul University, as well as an MBA in accounting and finance from the University of Chicago. Darlene, it's great to have you here. So you, you know, I mentioned earlier in the introductions, you've had a career working with these types of life science entrepreneurs. And so, you know, when we talk about kind of the, um, the rhythm of life science startups and, you know, what what pieces of advice you would give life science founders at the early stages? Does anything come to mind in terms of, you know, just some top three things that strike you as being, you know, pivotal as they set out? Well, one of them is definitely making sure they have someone on their team as an advisor or a close member of the team who understands that regulatory environment mm-hmm. uh, and who can keep them on the wrong, the right track. Um, because that is one place, you know, one of the things I look at with startups is all the things that can go wrong. And so, your job as that early entrepreneur or CEO is trying to reduce the risk at each step. And the regulatory environment for a life science-oriented company is it just involves so much risk that you have to figure out how to minimize that risk mm-hmm. uh, as early as you can because way too many go down a wrong path first And then they have to change directions when they have enough money to pay for that regulatory consultant down the road and find out they've been doing it wrong all the way along. So now they got to start over again is so costly. So it's finding someone who can help you with some of those regular, so the regulatory strategizing early on. Mm, Yeah. And you're right. You know, um, I came out of the software and telecom startup world and, 
you know, there's a, a level of regulatory and telecom, but it's nothing like the life science arena. And uh, having someone on your team that is intimate with that, I'm sure in terms of the path, to, you know, just getting down the path to market, getting started um, would be so pivotal. Yes. And it, it doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, someone who's like one of your founders. There are uh, consultants who clearly FDA regulatory consultants can be very expensive. So trying to find someone that you can afford and pay for the time that you need up front to help you do the strategies and then start down your path of figuring out your product is important. Um, but it, sometimes the money that you have to pay for some people is well spent up front, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, shift gears just a little bit then. Let's just talk a little bit um, about more recent uh, recent career developments for you, and that was um, – Tech Fort Worth. So when you joined Tech Fort Worth in 2006, what was it that attracted you there? Hmm. <laughs> well, it, what attracted me was at the time it was, uh, you know, it's a nonprofit. Tech Fort Worth is a nonprofit and it had uh, supporters. It had a good reputation in the community, but I didn't feel that it had the real programs that it needed to help those early entrepreneurs with the very, very early decision-making that they had to make, the strategizing, the figuring out, is it worth pursuing this particular idea, or should I drop this one, find another idea, and go down the road further? So what attracted me to it was the... I think the the my ability to jump in and help a lot of early stage companies all at once, uh, the because I think the most fun that I had as an entrepreneur was in those early days, the strategizing of it, uh, as opposed to mm, you know after it's got sales. I think somebody else I could run it then. I didn't enjoy it as much. I like the early strategizing. And, you know, that's really interesting that you say that because, um, you know, that's been my experience as well, is there's such a different feel when it's very, very new and very young. And there's just so much craziness and so much opportunity to shape and mold the direction of the company that you want to go in. And seeing that, you know, in in many cases, um, that the later stages where it's operational details is sometimes less attractive to very early stage uh, founders than, you know, that very early stage that you just described. Isn't that true? It is. And, you know, for example, I talk to people all the time who want to coach uh, these early stage entrepreneurs. They want to get involved somehow and, and help them out. And they'll tell me by way of proving that they have the credentials to do that, that, hey, look, I was at this company. I got there when it had a million dollars in sales a year, and I took it to 10 million or 50 million or whatever, some big number. And to, but to me, what I'm thinking as they say that is, yeah, I want to meet the guy who got the first million dollars in sales. Because to me, that's that's the really hard part. Yeah, yeah. And I remember reading somewhere in one of the many 
you know, interviews you've done and articles. But I remember reading a quote that you said that um, that it was the people who think they know how to grow it from a million to ten million are not the ones you want to meet. You want to meet the ones who grew it to a million. That's right. Yeah, I love that quote. I love that quote because, you know, um, maybe we can just talk about that a little bit back and forth because I think that's a really, really key message that certainly I'm I'm also passionate about, which is just that, um, you know, rolling up your sleeves and digging in and how different it is at that zero to one million stage. Yes. Well, I mean, even the the very first sale, the first dollar is hard, and then, <laughs> you know, and then uh, and then after that, a million dollars is really, uh, you know, that's a big deal to get it there, and you have to go through quite a lot of hurdles, whether it's the manufacturing or you know yourself or with having a contract manufacturer supervising all these contracts to get to a million dollars in sales, you you have to work through quite a lot and get your strategies on point so that so that it can grow after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I look back, and I remember in our relationship back when we met in 2006, and you first started putting, you know, you know your, uh, your vision together and your programs together at Tech Fort Worth, that that passion for those, you know, as, as we always call them, you know, the on the napkin founders, having a program for the on the napkin founders way back then was, you know, somewhat unique um, and really inviting people to come into Tech Fort Worth and just experience, you know, looking at their ideas in different ways and different things. And so, you know, that whole philosophy that you had that continues there today about this, you know, programs for different stages of growth. Do you just want to talk a little bit about that for a minute for everyone? Sure. I mean, I, I do think, I thought then, as I came in in 2006, and probably believe even more strongly now, uh, after working with so many entrepreneurs over the last 12 years, that, yes, there are different things you need to think about as, you know, in that first stage when you're just, you have an idea or you have a, uh, you filed for a patent on something and now you have to figure out, well, how do I make money from that? Or, you know, that very early stage. And then there's the next stage where, okay, now I've got the plan. Now I got to put that plan into action. And that's when you're going to stumble over, you know, one thing after another as those plans didn't work out exactly as you thought they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then you sort of work out all those kinks and start getting some sales. And then there's the next stage where you actually have some sales and now you got to work out your processes. Okay, how do I track the inventory? How do I keep the books? How do I, you know, how do I, how do I fix the processes of the, of the, the company so that it can scale? <laughs> to me, those are really the three stages that we worked with at Tech Fort Worth. Of course, there are later stages where you're implementing and you're growing and, you know, all of that stuff is a little bit later. But these are the three stages that we worked at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just that whole issue for founders, right, of being in the early days where they get to kind of run hard and they've got their fingers in every pot. And then all of a sudden it's about, you know, wow, now we're going to have other people join us on this ride. And now I've got to not only recruit those people, but I've got to, you know, manage them. I think that's a huge, huge next step for people. Oh, yes. Um, Oh, yes. (laughs) Big learning. Big learning. 
Um, yes, absolutely. Now, you, you know, I mentioned again in the intros that you've had some pretty successful exits in the life science space and in other spaces, I should say, as well. But given our, our theme around life science, I would say, you know, uh, Z Pharma and Encore Vision are two that I'm sure you're extremely proud of that came out of uh, Tech Fort Worth and others um, that we know as well that are still, you know, horses in the stable and doing really, really well. But these two were actually acquired. So, you know, can you talk just a little bit about those companies? What was it that made their rise, you know, quite uh, meteoric um, and quite, you know, early in terms of exit? Was there, you know, I'm sure there's some things about them that made them stand out. Well, the first one, which was ZS Pharma, Mm. And with ZS Pharma, um, you know, the, part of what made this stand out that was a, that was a uh, a two founder company, and they both had a lot of experience in the pharmaceutical industry. One of them very heavily regulatory consultant oriented was his background, all the regulatory field, and the other one more on the uh, the 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 chemistry side of things. And so they knew a lot about the pharmaceutical industry where, where we helped them and where, why they came to us had more to do with finding the resources and moving forward. So, so with some of the companies and, and actually maybe with most of the entrepreneurs we work with, they really know their technical field. Mm. In that case, they also knew the regulatory side, but, but in all cases, they really know their technical field, even if they were an executive at a big company before. You know, people look at those people and say, oh, they've done it before. But no, they did it in a big company environment. Mm. And it's very different when you start a company from scratch. So that's why they came to have us help them figure out those parts, all those early uh, the early pieces when it was just the two of them, and a lot of my time was spent helping them figure out how to speak about what they had in a way that normal people could understand them. Because I got them to stop using the you know uh, paragraph long words, for example, <laughs> to describe what they had and start talking about it in everyday language. Uh, sometimes what we do is, it, it seems to me, as simple as that, is getting them to be able to relate what they they can do, uh, not only in the language, but in the what they're talking about. Instead of talking about it in technical terms, talk about it in business terms. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. So, and I was going to say, and that's, of course, that's where we use a lot of uh, the materials that you produce it, it, to, in large part, I think, helping them learn the language of the people that are going to be on the other side of the table from them and being able to speak in that language. Well, and I think that, you know, it's um, as I as I listen to you speak about this, I'm, you know, I'm I'm learning myself because if you think about. Um, some of the domain experts coming from large companies. And as you say, I think there's a real value proposition for incubators that work with life science startups, um, even for those founders coming from large companies and just helping them to translate their ideas. Um, Having been used to being in a big company, it's a very different world, like you say, when you go into a startup. So interesting to see that you know i think that you know incubators can really fill a fill a gap in helping those types of startup founders to get their legs uh, 
And, you know, not just uh, coming from large companies, but, you know, even coming from a side of the field where you're always dealing with very deep domain knowledge, it's, uh, you need to have other people working with you to kind of help you, you know, make sense and bring clarity to these ideas for, for other people that are, you're going to be pitching to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the people in the big companies uh, that come from from a large company where they may have been very successful in launching products, they launched new products. So they think doing it on their own, they should be able to do that. They know how to launch a product. But, uh, and that, by the way, was probably the success of the Encore Vision. He had that founder had come from the marketing side of a big company, a big pharmaceutical company. So he understood the marketing side. But in all of these cases, um, if they've been successful in a big company, for example, they they had the corporate legal team doing all the legal stuff. And they had their corporate finance team who, who had the money for them. They didn't have to do all that themselves. And a founder of a startup has to do everything. Right. And so, and, and nobody can really do everything. So a lot of, I think what we do does, it's sort of wherever they're starting, it's helping them find whatever resources they need to, and helping them figure out what it is they're going to need to know next. Mm-hmm. You know, what are those things that they didn't have to think about before? So they, they, they don't know they're going to have to think about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I think that's, that's a large part of what we do at Tech Fort Worth and, and what we use a lot of the materials, like your materials for, is helping them think about things that they've never thought about before and didn't know they were going to have to think about. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to me even to think, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how did these, we'll call them, you know, corporate entrepreneurs find you? Like, how did they know to come to Tech Fort Worth? Because I think that's very interesting as well for other people listening to this that are managers of incubators or accelerators. How did that happen? Hmm. Well, I know that in the case of ZS Pharma, they already knew me because we knew each other when I had my company. Uh, We were in somewhat of the same orbit. So when I went to Tech Fort Worth, they were just curious about what I was doing over there. But after that, I think more of it, the, the others since then, many others have come, maybe partly because that first one was so successful and people were hearing about how quickly they were growing and being successful that uh, uh, that, that brings the others in. It's like, oh, they, those, those guys knew what they were doing, but they still needed to use Tech Fort Worth. Um, well, and I think that they also, you know, I think you're very modest because I think that you know, you have done a lot of ecosystem building and community building in Fort Worth and establishing yourself in terms of the, where you fit in that ecosystem. And, I, you know, I think that there's a lot to that, which is, you know, you've done a lot of work to connect the entrepreneurial players in Fort Worth that, you know, I've, I've even seen from a distance. And so I think that plays into that um, that as well, is that they... They know what you do and they know what your specialty is. And so they know where to, you know, they know where to go if they need life science startup help. So 
Um, so maybe just leading into that, then we could just talk because I, one of the things that has also been of keen interest, I think, for myself, but I think anyone listening to um, to our conversation will be just a little bit about the community building that you've done. I mean, one of the initiatives I know that's been extremely successful and continues now is Cowtown Angels. And I believe that Tech Fort Worth founded this, correct? Yes, that would be me in 2012. And that's because I started realizing that I was having great success at helping companies get started. And once they got started, first of all, I'm hearing from the entrepreneurs, well, and of course, especially in life science, nobody can really do it without getting some outside capital. Uh, So we knew that they were going to need outside capital. And on the other hand, the, the reputation of Tech Fort Worth was spreading in the community and people with uh, money in the community were coming to me saying, do you have any great companies I ought to invest in? And I did not want to have the liability of being the middleman <laughs> on those transactions, of being sort of an unpaid broker, <laughs> if you will. I didn't, the, the risk seemed too great and there was no money there. So I did not want to be doing that or have Tech Fort Worth in the position of doing that. So, um, but I knew that there were plenty of people in the community who, who wanted to invest in these kinds of companies. So I went out and started researching what kind of vehicles are there out there and looked at angel networks and then uh, uh, put Cowtown Angels together. So Cowtown Angels is a little bit different from other angel investor networks in that It is a program. It was started that way, and it continues to this day to be a program of Tech Fort Worth. So uh, basically, the members pay an annual fee to Tech Fort Worth to be a member of the Cowtown Angels. And for that, Tech Fort Worth does all the the background work. The, The applications are made. We... We gather the gather the information. We facilitate all the meetings, but we neither express an opinion on the companies. We're not the middleman, uh, uh, but we do the um, uh, the facilitation of everything. The companies that apply to Cowtown Angels can come from anywhere. Uh, they don't have to have anything to do with Tech Fort Worth, but we have a lot of expertise in helping those applicants. Uh, we help coach them to make their presentations to the angels and uh, sort of increase their chances. We're still, you know, we're in that case, we're sort of working on uh, both sides. The only thing we get is a, a, a member fee from the, the angels for the year. Now, since I retired from Tech Fort Worth last month, I'm about to become a member of the Cowtown Angels myself now. Uh-huh. It's, I couldn't do that before. It was a conflict of interest, but now I'll be able to. And so then there's a wide range of companies that could apply to present to the Cowtown Angels. I, it's not just technology and, and life science. Uh, that's correct. Oh. So the Cowtown Angels, they get these days they get about um, 20 to 25 applications a month uh, for their monthly mm-hmm. meeting. And of those, a committee uh, of about, I think, four of the members uh, gets together once a month, looks through the applications and chooses four or so of them to pitch, to do a pitch to the uh, to the entire Cowtown Angel group. Another initiative that you've had for many, many years, I know, is the Impact Awards. Um, and every year I see the notice about the upcoming awards ceremony and 
you know, the events celebrating the entrepreneurs in your community. So um, just talk to people a little bit about what the, the goal and the purpose was, because that's something that was started under your leadership as well. It was 10 years ago. We just had the 10th annual Impact Awards. Well, and it's evolved over time, and I'm sure it will evolve some more. But it, it was, especially in the beginning, 10 years ago, uh, it was designed as a way really to, to highlight the, these technology entrepreneurs in our community. And, um, you know, there weren't really so many programs doing that back then, at least not in the, the, the Fort Worth, Dallas area. So, so we wanted to do that, to highlight that. And in the beginning, it was open to anybody to apply, and it had judging. Uh, it was really more of a competition. It has evolved to be a way for us to highlight our own clients. Now that we have so many clients that are being so successful and have so much promise, um, we've we have uh, a way to highlight them in the community and really get a lot of publicity out there about them. Uh, it has also evolved into two events per year because it just grew so big that we needed to do that. So now we have one one time in the year in the spring where we do what we call the impact showcase. And that is all of our clients. They're oh, maybe, let's say, around 30 clients at any given point in time. And they each have a, a table and the public is invited in for free to come and meet all of our clients and learn what they do. And, you know, last year was the first one and we had over 400 people there. Wow. wow. So we're really, we're finding that the, the public is very interested in what are these entrepreneurs doing. Well, I just think that's just a great way to, as kind of the uh, first um, formal presentation for a lot of these companies and yes. bringing their ideas out to the world. I think it's fabulous. It not only engages the community to be involved in, in looking at what's going on, but it also is great for the founders to have to articulate and communicate with people not from their world. Well, it is because most entrepreneurs at some point are going to need to, if they're going to be successful in any fashion, they're going to have to go to a trade show or a, you know someplace where they're trying to talk about what they've got with the public. You know, in this case, it's very much just the public. Uh, at a trade show, it'll be more industry focused, but but still having to learn to talk about that. So this is, yes, you're right. Very good practice. This may be their first attempt to put a, a table together to show people what they do and to sort of practice their elevator pitch, yeah. you know, over and over and over again as somebody comes up to the table. So hopefully, as we tell them, hopefully by the end of that evening, they've sort of honed their pitch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these two events, I was so uh, keen to talk with you about them because I think for incubator managers, innovation centers, for all these people who work with and coach entrepreneurs, I think... You know, these kinds of initiatives can make such an impact, not only on the founders, but on the communities. Don't you agree? Yes, and that was exactly the goal of that, is to sort of bring them all together. People, are, people I think, in the public are curious, who are these people? Who are <laughs> these people that do this early stage thing? And, and you know, I think, actually, all those... 
other people who aren't being this technology entrepreneur, not only do they kind of look at us sort of weird zoo animals, you know, they want to go see <laughs> what makes them tick. Why would they do that? But there's also a little bit of, uh, I think almost everybody kind of is a little envious. They wish, if only I had the courage or if only I had the financial situation or the family situation or whatever, that's what I would do. That would be so cool to start something new like that. And so I, I find that the people, others who aren't the entrepreneurs are curious and want to talk mm-hmm. to those entrepreneurs. And so, yes, this was a way to sort of get the word out there that this is what Tech Fort Worth does. We help, we get to work with these people all the time and it's really cool. And uh, we're going to share them with you for a day. <laughs> and so, the, and, and that it, that also helps others learn what Tech Fort Worth does. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, it's just a very friendly way for everyone to come together. And, you know, who knows what happens with those people walking through in terms of getting the entrepreneurial spark, right? To say, hey, you know what? These people aren't so different from what I, you know, from me. Maybe I could do this. So I think there's a lot of side benefits to these. I know it's a ton of work, you know, to set up and manage Cattown Angels and the Impact Showcase and Awards. I can just imagine the logistical, but I think it just pays such big dividends to get everybody, you know, we talk about the community being, you know, inclusive. Um, and, and I think, you know, what you say is so, at least in my experience, is so true is people kind of look and go, who are those people and what do they right. do? So this kind of breaks down that barrier. So I think it's, uh, it's a fabulous, uh, it's a fabulous way to go about community building for sure. So, um, so let's just shift gears a little bit, not too much, but let's shift gears just a little bit and just talk about company building in general. I mean, you've had, you know, you know, and still continue to have a great, uh, a great career in coaching and mentoring, uh, startups. Um, I think I read somewhere you've coached and mentored over a hundred founders and startups. Um, I'm sure there's a treasure chest of lessons learned. So what I thought we might do is I just, uh, rather than have, you have to, you know, dig back in your treasure trove of experiences. I thought, let me just give you a couple of statements um, and phrases, and then maybe you can just share your reaction about what springs to mind. It's kind of like more like a David Letterman top 10 list. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, there's one that, um, you know, I know we hear a lot of founders um, that make this statement that everybody wants this. Um, and I think you might have said somewhere along your journey uh, that you said you have to be able to sell not only to people who know you, but sell to people you've never heard who've never heard of you. So you want to just kind of react to that? Yes, yeah, I think that's very true. I I do have people who will say exactly that to me. Everybody we know wants this, so it's going to be a great business, and you know, and they'll bring in as everybody does a sort of a. Uh, a, a forecast, right? A, their sales forecast that shows them going from nothing to, you know, $10 million in three years. Everybody's got one of those. And I'll say, well, just to test it, uh, you know, so who are, who are you going to sell to? Who are those people? That's a lot of people to buy those. Let's just take your first year. You know, who is going to buy, you know, that first year where you got, you know, $200,000 of sales projected that first year? 
who are those people? Well, you know, I've got, uh, you know, all these people I know, I've got this big contact list. I'm going, yeah, I know that gets you the first month of sales, the people you know. <laughs> who is going to, how are you going to reach the people you don't know? That's the real question. How are you going to reach them? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, these days, a lot of, well, it's going to be viral. <laughs> well, Okay, sure. Well, we can't predict that for sure. But how are you going to reach those people? You have to, you know, it costs money to reach those people. And first you have to figure out how you're going to reach them. Who are they? What do they see? How are your worlds going to interact? How do you how do you intersect with their world? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, even if it's you know that uh, in that particular industry, nobody buys anything unless it's featured in XYZ magazine. Well, how are you going to get featured in XYZ magazine then? Mm-hmm. What does it take? Yeah, and it's it's such a hard uh, you know pill to swallow, right? To, when you that when you start to think through the details, right, of what those numbers are made up of, and how many people it would take and you start to just peel it back and peel it back and you know as the as the founder's shoulders get tighter but it is you know it is that level of minutia that makes the difference between success and failure right Um, yes and it's easy for us all um, to make comments like everybody wants this but yeah and I think it's our job to kind of to if we're going to help founders to really just help them think that through so you also said there's so much work to do in the early days of a startup and people make the mistake of hiring people they know (laughs) (laughs) so tell me a little bit about that experience (laughs) Yes. Well, I have some recent experience with one of my clients, actually, um, that, yes, a couple of those people that they that they hired that they knew didn't work out. And that really is always that that was one of my own personal experiences, too. Yeah, because in the beginning, first of all, you don't have the money to hire the headhunter to go out and search everywhere to find the perfect person for you whom you couldn't afford anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you, in the beginning, you do tend to hire the people you know, and um, there's good reason for that. There's also great risk in that because those are going to be the people who think the way you do, probably, or you they wouldn't be in your circle of friends, um, but there also sometimes is a risk that you are going to overpay them or overpromise them because you don't know how good they are compared to the rest of the world yet. And so I watch people uh, promise too much in terms of equity or in terms of future money to these people who they are, whom they are close to in the beginning. And then as the company begins to grow, you discover that, well that person who I like so well isn't really the right person for that job. But now you're kind of stuck because you know them and you gave them too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, a real danger in that because the likelihood is that those, in, those first people you bring in, the likelihood is they won't be there that long. That's right. Uh-uh. Yeah. 
That's right. You know, the founder is likely to still be that. You know, you, the person who's taking all the risk, is going to still be there for the long haul um, because you've risked everything to be there. And we think that those early people that we bring in, the friends whom we met or whoever uh, that we brought in to to work with us, um, we think that they think like us. But the people who aren't really the founders, they really, it isn't quite the same thing for them. They haven't taken the risk and they don't own it as much. And it's going to be a rare one who stays there for the long haul. And so you just have to be prepared for that. And that's really hard for an entrepreneur to hear. But that's such great advice. You know, I, I, I just want to stop so people can reflect on that because I think that is a real sweet nugget of value um, to know that it's not the same for someone who's joining as it is for the person who's founding. And as much as we might think there that it is and their passion and energy may be high, I think what you're saying is it's still not the same. Um, you know, we're taking, we're, the founder's taking the risk. Right. And, and the other thing is that we have a tendency with those first people to give them these, these extravagant titles. So we tell them, you know, you, you know, there's only, there's only three of us. So I'll be the CEO, you be the COO, and you over there, you be the CFO, even though you don't know anything about accounting. <laughs> you, you know, let's just take those three positions. You know, they're nice sounding positions. The problem is that at some point, you're going to really need someone who understands the financial side of your company, but you already have a CFO. So what are you going to do? Demote your friend? Yeah. Yeah. And that never works well. Yeah. And so, you know, it kind of leads me to a related question, which would be, you know, founders come with so many different uh, dimensions. What, you know, in, in looking at the founders that you've worked with, what do you think is the number one quality you'd look for in a founder? Hmm. The willingness to learn. Mm. Yeah. Because there is going to be so much to learn. I don't care what it is, what kind of knowledge they come in with. There is a whole world of other knowledge that still has to be learned. And you can't learn it all in the beginning. You have to keep learning as you go. It is such uh, an educational journey. Yeah. And you... So someone who is willing to jump in and learn whatever it is they next need to know, it, to me, that, that may be the most important characteristic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and as you say, especially as you start to grow and the demands on the founder you know, increase and, become, and, and new things are always coming onto their plates that they yes. don't know about. Um, so I think that's an excellent one is just being recognizing what you don't know and being willing to admit that you need to learn or you need people to help you that have the expertise in that area. It's such an important thing. I think that sometimes as, as founders, um, people think that they have to be, you know, they have to display this sense that, you know, they've got it all under control and they know what to do and they're leading the charge. But you uh-huh. also, I mean, let's be real. I mean, there's just 
run, starting a company is very hard. Um, I know that's um, you know that's maybe cliche, but it is hard, and it takes a lot of admitting what you don't know, and then you know being being persistent and, and driven to what you do know. So it's uh, I think you know that's a, that's an excellent one in terms of just being willing to to learn, and and also you know I always I'll add mine to that. I I love founders that like to play nice with others and, you know, really just want to co-opt everybody into that kind of experience and grow it together, right? Can we, can we grow it together? So, um, so, you know, we're coming to the end of our time. So I, maybe I could, I'll try to bring us home here and just kind of wrap us up into a little bit of a catch-all. Um, you know, when we look now, here we are, you know, so much growth right now, it seems in all kinds of startups, life science and bio and med devices and, you know, wearable sensors and technology. There's so many exciting things happening in startup activity. Um, you know, do you think it's a good time to start a company? Oh, or or is there a good time to start a company? I think it's always a good time to start a company. Yeah. I, I, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really put any limit on that because the, starting a company will... Uh, uh, will adapt to the environment that it's in. I don't know a bad time to start a company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seems that Texas, you know, your home state, as I, you know, just travel around Texas, it seems like Texas has a lot of entrepreneurial activity. So I don't know what's happening in Texas, but it seems like it's bubbling with entrepreneurial activity. It does feel that way. Yeah. It feels that way when you're here, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a big state, but, you know, there's a lot going on in San Antonio and Fort Worth and Austin, even, you know, down in the south in McAllen. It seems to be all over. It must be something in the water that you guys are drinking because there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff happening. So, Yeah, we did get rain this year, so we do have water here. <laughs> so. so let me, let me frame uh, maybe a final thought for you. So if you're having coffee with an aspiring uh, founder... Um, anything that comes to mind in terms of advice you would give him or her um, just in that friendly coffee conversation? That advice just, it usually does revolve around being open and putting themselves in conversations with other people where they're listening. Um, I think that an entrepreneur, because they get so excited about the idea that they have, their tendency is to want to tell everybody about that when, in fact, they ought to be in learning mode and listening a lot more than talking. Mm. And I think you you have t- you hit home on a topic for me anyways in that statement, which is, you know, just the importance of um, – putting yourself out there as a founder and connecting with people um, and having those conversations, having those coffee meetups. It's for a lot of founders, that's a difficult, um, a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. In fact, I would say that was, I, I was probably one of those. Hmm. I think there's a lot of those. I think mm-hmm. just, you know, we're, we love our ideas, as you say, and so we love to talk about our ideas but when we have to actually take the initiative to put ourselves out there to talk about our ideas or talk about um, learning from others, et cetera, um, you know, it's, uh, I think there's, 
you know, my guess is going to be there's a good number of founders that, you know, just get nervous about doing that and don't know really how to take those steps. So I think, you know, being willing and and I think that's why, you know, coming back to the impact awards and the showcase, creating those uh, intersections for founders where they start to realize that it's actually a, a pretty nice and fun thing to do when you can connect with others and just listen and learn and tell a little bit about what you do. I think uh, that can be a really, not only a, a fun thing to do, but such an important thing for, as they start their journeys. Yes. So, well, Darlene, thank you so, so much for sharing your entrepreneurial adventures with us and the, the lessons learned. I think uh, there's a lot to, uh, a lot of nuggets to pick out of this conversation in terms of, you know, company building and supporting entrepreneurs and different initiatives that can help them to get started on the path to success. So I want to thank you so, so much for your time with us. It's been a a real pleasure. You're welcome. It's been fun. Okay. If you'd like to stay connected with us and future conversations, please go to our website at wendydentkennedy.com and sign up for notices on the Entrepreneurial Podcast. You can also subscribe to our channel on iTunes. Just look for Wendy Kennedy's Entrepreneurial Podcast. Until next time, dream big and enjoy the ride.